We're going to take a little break from our study in Acts uh, for a few weeks. So let's take our Bibles and turn to a very familiar passage in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. The title of this message is One Thing That Pleases Heaven. And I hope this study will be an encouragement to us this morning because the Spirit of God tells us twice in these two verses that we're going to look at this morning that we can be pleasing to Him. So often when we study the Bible, uh, we emphasize what needs to change in our lives, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, because that's the purpose of the Bible. The purpose of the Bible is to correct us and to challenge us and to refine us so that we will be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And uh, we want to be walking in holiness. We want to be set apart. So we do study the Bible and we say what needs to change. But the challenge to change doesn't always have to be negative. In fact, many times the Spirit of God teaches us in such a way that we are so inspired and so so, uh, stirred to live a certain way because we know that if we live that way, the Lord will be pleased by what we do. And I would encourage you as you study Scripture to approach it that way. Sometimes uh, if we grow up in a certain tradition or we learn to study this way, we approach the Bible and it's kind of do's and don'ts. The Bible is so much more than do's and don'ts. The Bible is there to inspire us that God loves us and God has worked in a way in our lives that we can't even fathom. And because of that, we live in a certain way because we love Him and we're so grateful to Him. When we live that way, it says that God is pleased. I don't know about you this morning, but there's nothing we should want more than to please the Lord. So often I think when we read these verses because we know them so well and we can probably quote them by heart, so often I think we read these and and it's uh, it's almost like an unattainable standard, like this idealized picture that we hope we can get to some way, but we, we doubt we will. But there is one word in these two verses that's really stood out for me this week. And the Spirit uses it uh, and, and if we can just kind of grasp how important it is and also how possible it is, if we can get this one word, it will radically change how we view these verses. Now let's read them again. They're very familiar. So try to approach them in your mind like it's the first time you've ever heard them. And then we're going to trace the topic for a couple minutes and say good morning. Therefore, Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, these verses have three commands. And the three commands are crucial to our understanding of what God wants. But the very first one is really the linchpin that everything else rests on. It says we are called to present our bodies as a living and holy, tell me the next word, sacrifice. A living and holy sacrifice. That one word right there, that word sacrifice is key. And if there's one action that pleases heaven this morning, as God looks at our lives, it's when we sacrifice. 
Sacrifice is the essence of the gospel. It's how God showed us the incredible perfection of his love for us in that he was willing and that Christ was joyful to sacrifice himself for our sins. That's a sacrifice we will never deserve. It is a sacrifice we will never earn. It is only given by the grace and mercy of God. And while that's a standard that you and I know we can never reach, that we can never sacrifice in that way, we need to understand this morning that living sacrificially not only purifies our relationship with the Lord, but it also purifies and radically transforms our relationships with each other. Who we are as a church body, how we function within our marriages, how we relate to our kids and how we relate to our parents, uh, what we do at work, pretty much everything, every aspect of our daily life rests on how we're sacrificing. Now, some of you this morning are struggling in one or more of those areas. Some of you are at the point, whether it's in your relationship with your kids or your marriage or even functioning with the church body, whatever the case may be, some of you are at the point where you're so frustrated and so distraught that, that you are thinking about leaving those relationships or you're sabotaging them intentionally or you're just responding through callous disinterest. But you know as a believer that's not how God has called us to live. We have never seen God leave us and abandon us because he's frustrated with us. We have never seen God sabotage his relationship with us because he's angry at how we're acting. We've never seen him just say, forget it, I'm disinterested. I don't care what's going on in your life. I'm just going to shut down. I'm just going to tune you out because I'm sick of it. We never see God doing that. So as people who are called to live like Jesus Christ and called to follow the Lord, we can't take that option either. And we've done far worse to God than anybody's ever done to us. I've had a lot of people do bad things to me in life, but they've never done what I've done to God. Sinning against him, defying him, rebelling against him, cursing him, uh, all the things that man does against God. And God still says, I love you. And God still says, I'm willing to forgive you. And I'm willing to exonerate you. And I'm willing to remove your sins forever if you trust in me. So we can't give up at this point. If you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, I'm about to give up, Paul. I can't do it anymore. Yes, you can. You can walk with the Lord. Call on His name. Trust in Him. It is not too far gone. Philippians 2 tells us to have the mind that's in Christ. And while we usually focus in that passage on Christ's humility, and we should, the foundation for humility, the foundation for being a humble person is having an attitude and a decision to be sacrificial. Everything depends on sacrifice. You cannot be sacrificial without being humble, and you cannot be humble without being sacrificial. Now let's dig into this passage, because there's a lot here, and I want to keep it shorter this morning. But uh, I want to try to get us to comprehend what the Spirit's telling us here, and then we're going to look at the meaning and the importance of sacrifice. So we're just going to walk through it verse by verse, okay? First of all, notice in verse 1 that the impetus and the ability to present ourselves as a living and holy sacrifice is solely and completely dependent on the mercy of God. Nothing happens 
as a believer, nothing happens without the mercy of God. Because of our sin, because of our impurity before God, we are unable and actually unwilling to be selfless. Selfishness is inbred into us. It's part of our sin nature, and we love to act on it. It is not in our human nature to be sacrificial. But when we repent of sin, and when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, and we receive that gift of God that is given salvation through faith in Christ, there is an eternal transaction that takes place. So as believers, we are no longer controlled. This is the point of Romans. We are no longer controlled by the human nature. We can say, well, I just, you know, I struggle because I'm human. Actually, if you're a believer, you're not human. The Bible calls us aliens, not, you know, weird ET aliens. It calls us people that don't have our citizenship here on earth. Our citizenship is in heaven because God has taken our spirit and he's completely and radically transformed it. And the old nature is gone. It doesn't control us. It doesn't rule us. It doesn't dictate how we're supposed to act. We are controlled by the spiritual nature. So we can say, well, I'm I'm human. Yeah, but you're not. If you're a believer, you're not human. You, but Second Peter 1.4 says that because of what God's done, we're partakers of the divine nature. I know that's hard for us to grasp. It's hard for me to grasp every day. How can I be a partaker of the divine nature? Everything changes through Christ. Our innate propensity to be proud and selfish is changed because of God's work in our life, and we have a new calling for our lives. That's what he's saying in verse 1. Then he says, how do we show this living and holy sacrifice? You see, second, that the sacrifice starts in our bodies. Now, interestingly, the Greek word here is the word soma, and soma doesn't have any spiritual connotations. It simply means our physical body. It means the essence of who we are. That means, as we read it that way, that God's mercy has changed and transformed us. Because that's happened, the verse is logical and progressive in its thinking. Because God's mercy has changed and transformed us, now our spiritual minds that are full of the Spirit, that are changed and renewed and transformed, our spiritual minds have a conscious decision to make for our bodies. Think about that. Because your mind is changed, because God has transformed us, we now have a conscious decision to make for our bodies, and the decision is not just driven by the lust of the flesh. Before Christ, everything is about us. Everything is to indulge, to satisfy, to pleasure, to bring uh, happiness to our flesh, what we want. When we're changed by Christ, it says all that thinking changes. So we don't have to indulge in sin. We don't have to yield to temptation. We don't have to uh, give in to our flesh in any way. And, and we now have an intentional choice to, to go after not just what's moral and good, but to go after what is holy and living. See, those words are not accidental there. To be holy, that, that's such a deep, strong word. It has absolutely no equivocation in it. It means to only be free from impurity. As a believer this morning, here's the hard standard. Sin is not an option. As a believer this morning, sin is not an option. 
That is a daily decision. Temptation is pervasive. Culture says indulge yourself. And even though we have a renewed mind, sin will always have some measure of appeal for us this side of heaven. There will always be something that draws us. But our love for the Lord and our desire to be holy and the fact that we have a different mind says I can reject that every single day and every single day I'm going to have a greater passion to reject it. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, put aside the youthful lusts. If you've been a believer 15, 20 years, are you still caught in the youthful lusts of what it was like when you first got saved? Are you maturing? Are you progressing? Is your life markedly different? Or do you still struggle with the basic sins? We're called to be holy and set apart. Second, would you notice that the sacrifice is living? That essentially means that it's active. Let your sacrifice be living. See, holiness is never pursued passively. You can never get to holiness by kind of saying, well, I just kind of figure it out. Just kind of hope it happens. Don't really need to make strong choices. Don't need to set myself apart. Don't need to stand firm against temptation. I'll give in and I'll ask forgiveness. I'll give in and I'll ask forgiveness. I'll let it slide for a while. Then I'll come back to God. God's so gracious. He'll just forgive me. And we play this little game sometimes with God. And it's not a game to Him. You are holy and you're set apart. Let your sacrifice be living. Don't make holiness be a passive pursuit. It's not just going to happen by proxy. It's not just going to happen because you feel like it some days. You'll never overcome sin with indifference. Second Peter 1.3 says God has given us everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness. Not only are we not deficient, we are powerful. And look back at the end of verse 1 because we're told that these two actions to intentionally present ourselves as a sacrifice to be holy in our bodies, that these two actions are the prerequisite for worshiping the Lord. Now that word worship is a hot button. It means a lot of things to a lot of different people. And mostly in this day and age, we define that in terms of style of music or the atmosphere of a room or what the lighting is like or what color things are or what our posture is or whether we get to bring in coffee or not, or what the location is. We define worship in a lot of different ways. But in this passage, Romans 12.1, it means none of those things. When he says, this is your act of worship, the word doesn't mean singing or raising hands or praying on our faces. Instead, it literally means to spiritually serve the Lord. It has so little to do with our actions and what we think is right for the moment. And yet, I would say 98% of the discussion about worship in Christianity today is all about what we get out of it. What are we presenting? How are we crafting it? What are we doing so that people will get the maximum experience? We don't want to hold them too long. Let's just kind of do this and this and show this and this and work it in a way and make sure it's all timed out so it's just perfect. That has nothing to do with Romans 12.1. He says, this is your act of worship. It has everything to do with the attitude of being humble and selfless before the Savior. 
That's why the directives of verse 2, look at it. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Those aren't just cold-blooded commands. This is what you have to do as a Christian. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do it. That's not what the Lord's saying here. This is not just some cold-blooded, heartless command to do this because I say so. Look at the motivation. These are acts of love and sacrifice because we just can't wait to please the Lord. Don't ever let your Christianity come down to, well, I have to be conformed not conform to the world because God said so. You're right, he did. But he never wants you to do it out of rote. He wants you to do it because you love him. He wants you to do it because you are so grateful to him for relieving you of the bondage of sin and delivering you forever and calling you his own child that you say, Lord, what can I do for you? You don't want me to be like the world. I'm not going to be like the world. Because I love you. And I want to please you. And I want to do what is right in your sight. And I want nothing more than to show my gratitude to you every single day. That's what the passage is talking about. He says, I want you to be pleasing to God. Some of you have that word in your Bibles. I'm reading New American Standard. It's the word acceptable. Now that word, acceptable, is the literal meaning in the text. But as we learn in our How to Study the Bible course, some words have a different meaning and emphasis than they did when the Bible was translated. So now acceptable, what is that to us? Eh, it's okay. Passable. You did an acceptable job. Isn't that high praise? You're acceptable. You did acceptable. Wouldn't you love to have your boss tell you that tomorrow? You're doing such an acceptable job. That's not the meaning of the word in the text. The meaning is literally well-pleasing. In other words, going on merely accommodating God, going beyond just kind of satisfying Him. This is surpassing and exceeding what is normal and bringing immense Joy to him. Let your sacrifice be holy and living so you can bring immense joy to God because he knows you're doing it out of love and you're doing it out of gratitude. But to do that, our hearts have to be right. In fact, the concept of how we approach worship is detailed from the start of the Bible to the end. Let's turn to a couple passages. Turn back all the way to the front to Genesis chapter 4. We'll look at two passages before we conclude. Genesis chapter 4. This is the account of Cain and Abel, the first two children that were born to Adam and Eve. And in this passage, it teaches us about our approach to worship. Let's look starting at verse 3. It came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain 
and for his offering he had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. Now, the Holy Spirit in Scripture gives details. And there's a detail that's missing in Cain's sacrifice that is listed in Abel's sacrifice. This is really the first recorded act of worship in the Bible because it's the first time that we see people serve the Lord by sacrificing to Him. Now, Cain brings an offering of the fruit of the ground. He was a a farmer. He was a harvestman. So he brings an offering from the fruit of the ground. But we see that Abel, who's working with livestock, brings the first of his flock. Now, his sacrifice is pleasing and acceptable to the Lord, but Cain's is rejected. Now, that seems maybe a little bit arbitrary. But the detail that the Holy Spirit gives about Abel's offering that's missing about Cain's offering is the key. Because Cain's offering was rejected because he did not bring what was first. He only brought out of what he felt like out of the abundance. Not only did he not give priority on giving what is best for the Lord, but it didn't cost him anything. Now this is the key to sacrifice, and it teaches us two things. First thing I want you to see in this text is that sacrifice always has a price. Sacrifice always has a price, which is why we don't like it. It isn't giving or doing what's easy. It's not giving or doing from the excess. It's giving or doing from what we want to hold on to, but we realize we have to give up out of love and respect. That's why all throughout Scripture, the Lord asks us to give Him what is best. He asks us to give Him what is first and foremost. Not because He's greedy. He doesn't need our stuff. He's got everything. He owns all of it. So it's not like He's saying, give me your best because I'm greedy. He, He already owns it. What He wants to see is, where is your heart? So He says, sacrifice the first lamb. Give me the first fruits. When you bring an offering to me, give me out of the first portion of what you have, not what's just left over. Because how many know in this day and age that after everything is paid and we've gotten what we want, there's nothing left. If we give that way, the average Christian gives 2% to the Lord. If we give that way, we're just giving out of the leftovers rather out of giving him What's first? And he says, wait a second. I never gave you scraps. I gave you my only son. I've given you out of abundance. I've told you, look at the birds. Look at the flowers. They never have any need. You think I'm going to let you have a need? You think I'm going to let you just just struggle and never get there? I've given you everything. See, if it doesn't cost, if it doesn't hurt a little bit, it's not really a sacrifice It's just a slice of the abundance. And this applies to to everything in our lives, but it especially applies to our four primary relationships. Marriage, kid, church, and work. The concept of sacrifice, the concept of it costing something, applies to everything. And it is a mark of our spiritual maturity, and it's a mark of our personal integrity to give the first fruits, listen now, of ourselves. It is the mark of spiritual maturity and the mark of personal integrity to give the first fruits of ourselves in our marriage, 
with our kids, in our church, and at work. Now, the world tells us just the opposite. It says, indulge yourself and give whatever's left over. And if your marriage struggles, oh, well, just find a new spouse. If your kids are are crazy, it's all right. They'll figure it out. The world will help them. It takes a village, so we'll just all do it together. Peace and love. See, everything in culture says, put yourself first. Everything God says, says, put others first. Sacrifice has a cost. And then second, look at the text. We learn that some worship is pleasing to God and some worship isn't. And it's all related to whether we're serving for the Lord or we're serving for us. It wasn't that God thought that Cain's sacrifice was inherently inferior. It's that he didn't put the Lord first. It didn't cost him. He showed he loved himself more than he loved the Lord. Listen, any act of worship, anything we do to worship the Lord, whether it's singing or or praising him openly or praying where people can see us or using our spiritual gifts or giving him financially or, or doing ministry, any act, listen now, that even has the most subtle intention of drawing attention to ourselves is like Cain's gift. God rejects it. Any action that says, look at me. Look at, look at, look at me. Just, just slightly. Just, I just want a little bit of notice. Please just, just give me my due. I know it's all about the Lord, but it's kind of about me too. Any act of worship that does that, God says, I don't want it. Now, if that seems harsh, it's only because we're convicted of it. And it is so critical that we keep examining ourselves for this because humanity craves attention and approval and applause, but that has no place when the focus and the praise should be toward the Lord. We've said to the people that are on the platform, if we ever see you drawing attention to yourself, you're not going to be on the platform anymore. Because it is not about us, it is about the Lord. Now, how do we know that? Turn to one more passage. Look over at Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1. Thank you, as always, for bringing your Bibles, and thank you for turning. Isaiah chapter 1. Let's see just how important this is to God. This is a very odd passage, i got to tell you. But I like this passage because it tells us a lot. Isaiah chapter 1, right in the middle of your Old Testament. We're going to start in verse 13. God's a little bit upset at this point. Isaiah 1.13. Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies, I can't endure iniquity in the solemn assembly. I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. They become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I'll hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I won't listen because your hands are covered with blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from my sight and cease to do evil. I don't know if you have section titles in your Bible. The section title in my Bible is God has had enough. (laughs) It's pretty direct, isn't it? God has had enough. You see, Isaiah's ministry came at a time when Israel was fully rejecting God. 
They wanted nothing to do with God. They, they had turned their backs on God. They loved sin. They worship idols. But here's the thing. They were still going through the motions of religious rituals, thinking our hearts can be far from the Lord. But if we just show up and go to church and do the things that act like we're really sincere, God will be fooled. And God says, I'm not fooled. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it. Quit doing it. Stop bringing me your offerings because they're worthless. And stop celebrating the feast because your heart isn't in them. And even stop praying because I'm hiding from you. Do you know there are times when the Lord can say to us, don't give, don't come to church, and don't pray because I'm not listening. You never, ever want to be in that place. Why would he do such a thing? He says this because sacrifice is vitally connected to the heart and the spirit of the worshiper. So if our coming to him and our hearts are full of sin or we're indifferent or we're spiritually cold, he says, there's really no reason for you to be here. Stop mocking me. Stop, stop making fun of me. Go away. Can you believe that God would get to that point? Can you believe that any follower of God would, would approach with that attitude? But sometimes we do. I'm not talking about, man, I've worked 60 hours this week, Paul, and I'm tired and I haven't seen my kids and I'm just, I'm just, I'm not talking about that. We all feel that. I'm talking about spiritual callousness. I'm going through the motions. I'm acting like I'm a Christian, but I really don't care. Listen, when you get to that place, God says, all right, well, then maybe I don't care either. If you're going to mock me that way and you're going to come into my house, and you're going to pretend like everything's great, then, then you're not really living for me. This is why Jesus calls attention to people that were different. To the widow that just brings a couple coins, it seems so insignificant. And Christ says, look at her. And all the other people that are bringing big checks are going, well, what about us? He says, listen, you have abundance. That's just a minuscule amount of what you have, and your hearts aren't even really in it. You're doing it for show, but she's given everything. It's why Jesus praises the, the, the prayer of the sinner who falls in his place and says, I'm not worthy to be in this place compared to the guy who's standing there going, look at my resume. I am so awesome. God, I know you're hearing my prayer because look at me. I care about that. I don't care about your outward appearance. I care about your job. I care about your heart. It's why he praises the faith of the centurion who says, Lord, just say the word. Don't come to my house. I don't, my house is not worthy of you. Just say the word. I, you, don't, you don't have to walk another step if you would just say the word. And Jesus looks at the Pharisees who are standing there all defiantly and saying, oh, how dare he approach Jesus. He's a Roman. And he says, this is what I'm talking about. That faith versus that arrogance. The Lord is more than willing to help us and bless us in amazing ways, but the attitude in which we approach him and the extent to which we sacrifice ourselves is key. In fact, in Exodus 29, God says the determining factor for securing his presence and his favor is that people need to be continually sacrificing for him. That's not a demand because he's self-centered. It's because the measure of sacrifice reveals the measure of your love.
The measure of your sacrifice reveals the measure of your love. And no one has proved that more than the Lord. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ for our sins was the perfect expression of love. Jesus says, greater love has no man than this. Then he lays down his life for his friends. And then he turns around and says, but you were my enemies and I'm dying for you. While we were yet sinners, while we were hostile, while we were defiant, while we rejected God, while we cursed God, while we wanted nothing to do with God, not his friends, but his enemies, Christ said, I'll die for you. I'll die for you. We're like, wait a second. We don't want it. He says, doesn't matter. I'm going to do it anyway. Some will want it. Some will want to accept it. Some will want to enjoy my grace on your life. So I'm going to die for you, even though you hate me. And his love transcends that hatred and that rejection. And he shows mercy and offers forgiveness, even though we don't deserve it, not even for a minute. That is what should drive you and me to sacrifice for each other every day. Our love for him and our love for each other, because sacrifice is the proof that you really love somebody. Over the years, the number one conflict that I have seen in marriages that are struggling, I've counseled hundreds and hundreds of couples. Over the years, the number one conflict is not communication, it's not money, it's not in-laws, it's not intimacy, it's not annoying habits. The number one conflict is I don't want to sacrifice. I do not want to give in. And I say to the person, well, then your marriage is going to stink. And it does. It stinks. Because you will not yield. Marriages that have conflict are people ignoring Ephesians 5.21. Don't get into wives, submit to yourselves, your husbands. Don't even get to husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. There's a verse before it, and it says, submit yourselves to one another as unto the Lord. Invariably, that is the first problem. The person stops walking with the Spirit, and they start to move into a lack of love and a lack of sacrifice, and that leads to selfishness, and that leads to conflict, and that leads to division, and that leads to a lack of peace. So the Spirit points us back to Christ and says, submit as unto the Lord. If you are submitting to the Lord and walking with the Lord, you will be sacrificial. Let me turn it around. If you are not sacrificial, I have to wonder, are you really walking with the Lord? I know that is a harsh sentence, but that's what the Bible tells us. Men, we are called to love as Christ loves us. We are called to set the example, and I know it's a hard calling, but it's our calling, and it's non-negotiable. But it is also a tremendous privilege. Think of the influence that you and I can have as men and dads on our kids. Think of the influence that we can have to show them how to love the Lord, how to stand for Him in the culture, how to have integrity, how to love their moms, how to be faithful to them, how to lead them to be holy. Think of the opportunity that we have. Ladies, it is a huge responsibility for us. And the standard is high. And to be very honest with you, we're terrified of it. Do I get an amen from the men? We're terrified of it. Be patient with us, though. Because we want to be faithful to our calling. 
And you have your own calling. Ladies, you have a calling to submit yourselves as we do to Christ. And I know for all of us what a challenge that is to die to self daily. But that's also non-negotiable. And I want to say to you this morning as your pastor, right now, men and women, some of you have stopped doing that. And you become emotionally indifferent and you're not sacrificing. And I want to ask you as your brother in Christ, it's got to stop today. It has got to stop today. With our kids, are we modeling true sacrifice? Are we modeling sacrifice to the Lord and to our spouses and to the church and to them? You know, I think in a sense, we sacrifice more for our kids than any generation in history. Hear what I mean here. We drive them around. We take them from place to place. We change our schedule to fit their schedule. We give them the best things. We buy them the best toys. We give them the best food. We, we do everything for them. That is not a bad thing. Please hear my heart this morning. But are we really teaching them true sacrifice? Or are we teaching them indulgence? We have to walk very, very carefully to make sure that we show them the line of what true sacrifice is and what the line of meeting all they want is. I was so proud of this church this week that so many of you that were able, that weren't working at the time, served at Harbor Rock Lodge and really labored for the Lord. But I'll tell you what really impressed me is how many of the youth sacrificed their time and effort. And I know that some of them were like, I couldn't stay home, I had to be there. But I'll tell you what impressed me as I watched every day is that those children worked hard. They worked hard. They labored to show the love of Christ to other kids. And that's a testament to how you and I are raising them. And even when we had times where we were tired and stressed and there was tension, there were little conflicts that started to rise up, we stopped and we said, listen, there's a lot at stake. doesn't matter how I feel. doesn't matter if somebody hurt my feelings. I can't afford to think about myself because I need to talk to people about Christ. And listen, that has to drive us every single day. Not what I need, not what I want, not what indulges me. But what do I need to do to serve Christ? Because that's what worship means. Look back. i got to be done. Look back at Romans 12 one more time. I know, I know. You're laughing at me. Look back. Romans 12 one more time. Paul says, don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, that makes complete sense in the context of the study. Because the world is all about self-indulgence. So how can we be acceptable to God and truly worship Him if we're like the world? How can we be pleasing to God? How can we worship and serve Him if we are like the world? Because the world is all about self. Renewing our mind means that we have to think like the Spirit thinks. We have to get our wisdom and our discernment and our desire to sacrifice from Him. How many of us need that this morning? How many of us need the Spirit's mind, the Spirit's heart, the Spirit's attitude, instead of the Lord potentially looking at us and saying, I've had enough of what you're doing. 
We want him to look at us and at this church and say, now that is what pleases me. Oh, when I look at that guy's life, when I look at that lady's life, when I look at that church, oh, that is what pleases me. And he tells us that that can be the end result of how we're living when we present ourselves as a holy, living sacrifice to Him. Let's close our eyes. And I want to just, I know I've talked long, but let me just appeal to you for just a moment. Maybe this study really hit home to you this morning and the Spirit's been talking to you and you are struggling because you feel convicted. You know that there are areas in your life that you are not sacrificing. I don't need to give the list again. You know what it is. And right now you're saying, Paul, I'm just, I'm not being sacrificial. I'm being selfish. I know it. My spouse knows it. My kids know it. My church knows it. My work knows it. But I'm still holding on to it. I don't know if that's true of anybody in this room this morning, but I need to ask. If that's true of you, if the Holy Spirit has said to you this morning, this message is for you, this study's for you, I'm speaking to you, not to the other person, not to your spouse, I'm speaking to you. If that's you this morning, you need to make that right with God because God will not bless how you're living. You will not have peace. You will not have joy. You will not have contentment. Your relationships will be fractured. You'll be distant. It will not get better. It will not be right without sacrifice. And between you and the Lord this morning, I'm going to ask you, nobody's looking. I'm going to ask you, if that's you this morning, I'm going to ask you to just raise your hand to heaven as a mark of commitment to Him, as a statement, Lord, I need to change. I need you to change me this morning. Your hands are your commitment. That's between you and the Lord. I suppose every single one of us could probably raise our hands this morning. I pray the Lord will continue to challenge us and confront us for our selfishness. Listen, this is a sacrificial congregation that loves the Lord. I have no doubt about that. But the enemy is subtle. He hates sacrifice. He will continue to grind at you and me, trying to wear us down. We need to look at Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, and say, Lord, you sacrificed everything. I now sacrifice myself. Lord, help us this morning. Refine us and shape us when our desire is to serve ourselves, when it's not to sacrifice, not to do what's pleasing to you, but to dishonor you. Lord, I pray this morning that you would heal marriages that are fractured. I pray that we would put aside self and stop having conflict and 
joylessness and tension because we just want what we want. Lord, that manifests itself in a lot of ways, and I pray you would remove it. This morning, I pray you would begin the healing process for marriages in this church. I pray for relationships with children that are not strong, that are fractured and frustrated. Lord, start the healing process, we pray. Allow us to take the first step, even if we were wronged. Allow us to take the first step of reconciliation. Lord, help us this morning. We call on you. We ask you. Because you're the only one that can do it. Father, we thank you and praise you that you're so good to us. We thank you that the sacrifice that you made is beyond all comprehension. But if you can sacrifice for those that were your enemies, Lord, how much more can we be willing to sacrifice for the one that loves us? We praise you and we exalt you with our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.